So three things. Here's the first one. The first one is about marriage. Now, there's several questions about marriage, okay? Uh, and, and, you know, if I take one of those questions or the second question, you know, or then, you know, I'm going to miss a lot, okay? So let me, just, let me just talk to you about the sanctity of marriage. And I'll tell you that Church 29 and 11, we believe in the sanctity of marriage. Amen. Got, got one amen. But we believe in the biblical standard of marriage. Didn't get an amen that time. Can I say that again? We believe in the biblical standard of marriage. Okay, because we believe in the Bible, right? We believe, okay, so if we believe in the Bible, then we have to believe in the biblical standard for marriage, the biblical standard for everything, if we believe in the, and we believe in the Bible. So we believe in the biblical standard of marriage. But do we really know what that means, what the biblical standard of marriage is? Because it's not you know, your little pet peeve of what you're irritated with that people are doing to marriage out there. Because I guarantee you that what, what you're upset about with marriage, there's somebody behind you. I mean, I, I've had questions all over the spectrum on this. You know, but the big one today is over gay marriage, okay? Because that, that's the one that's out there in the politics. That's the one that's out there. And that's, you know, that's the big one. And everybody's, you know, kind of upset about it. And if I, I focus on that, I want to miss the whole thing because that, that's, that's one, of the, one of the problems that we have is that we begin to focus on our little pet peeve, our little ideas and our little things and we miss the whole big point of what we, need to be, what we need to be focusing on. Let's not focus today on the what nots. Let's focus on the what's. Let's focus on what God does tell us. What is the biblical standard of marriage? Okay, so here, here, here let me show it to you. It is, it is in the book of Matthew, chapter 19. Jesus was asked a loaded question. And you know what a loaded question is, don't you? It's when somebody frames the question in just the right way so that no matter what you answer, you're wrong. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I kind of said it like, you know, that you know, somebody asked you, have you stopped beating your wife yet? You know, there's no way to answer that, is there? Unless you were beating your wife, you know, before you got asked the question. Have you stopped? There's no way to It's a loaded question. They asked Jesus a yes or no specific loaded question because they had an agenda. And here, here it is in verse three. The Pharisees, they're the ones that asked him. They came to him testing him and said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any just, or, or, I'm sorry, for just any reason, not for any just reason, but ju for just any reason. Is it lawful to get a divorce for just any reason whatsoever? Okay, and this, this was a loaded question because even though you wanna say, well, no, but then what we'll see here in just a moment, and, and Jesus reminded them in, in later verses, is that Moses, allowed them to get divorced and they said, okay, we're going we're gonna, to, we're going to catch Jesus in this because if he agrees with what the word of God says, he's going to be, you know, disagreeing with Moses. If he agrees with Moses, he's going to be disagreeing with here. Jesus knew this. I mean, he's wiser than we are. And so what Jesus did is he stuck with the biblical standard of marriage that goes all the way back to Genesis. It is repeated by Jesus several times. It is repeated by the apostle Paul several times. And I don't have time to read you all of those references, but they're all on the Sunday's page. Okay. Just go to church2911.com. There's a right there at the top. You'll see Sundays, click on it and you'll see all these scriptures that we don't have time to read today. Okay. But this is what Jesus did is he, is he went back to the biblical standard. So verse four through six, here's where he gives us reminds them of the biblical standard. And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. You remember that Trinity question? 
couple of weeks ago, you know, one is three, I don't understand that. God sees us in the same way when we get married. One is two and two is one. Okay, he sees us in that same way. It's over my head the way he sees us. That's the way he sees us. They become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And here then is the biblical standard for marriage. There you've got the scriptures. I mean, that's the most pointed, I guess, that, 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 that can be said. Here then is in summary what the Bible says marriage is. Okay, right here. Let's read it again, right here. Is marriage is the first institution of God, the very first, before there's anything else, go back to Genesis, the very first thing he instituted was, was, was marriage. It is the union of one man and one woman for life. That's what Jesus said. They shall be one flesh, and let, let nothing put them asunder, let nothing separate them, because they are no longer two, but now they are one. They are one for, for the rest of their life. Now we look at this and we say, oh man, now, well I've messed up. Okay, but here's the cool thing. Is, is, is all these things that, that, that I will tell you out of scripture, all these things that I will teach you out of, the, out of the word of God, all these things that you read there, yes, God is speaking about his ideals and his dreams for you and, and this is what truth is. But then, on top of that truth, he also offers grace. And no matter where you find yourself today, if you've been married five times and now you're just, we used to call it shacking, you know, okay, I can say it another way, but if you've been married five times and now you're just shacking, you are, you are no different than a woman that Jesus met just outside of some, in Samaria one day, just outside of town that had said exactly that to him. He, he told her, he said, you've been married five times and the man you're living with is not your husband. And she was blown away. And you know what Jesus said to her? You know, this, this, is, this is not proper. They knew this wasn't proper. She knew this wasn't proper. But you know what he said to her? He didn't say, now, now go away and you pray and you fast for, for 10 days and come back and maybe I'll forgive you. Or get on your face right here and right now and for, for the next 60 minutes you confess every one of those sins and, and every one of those mistakes that you made in, in the wrong marriages that you ended up in and, and the way that you treated your previous husbands and now that you're living, he, he, he didn't say any of that. But you know what he did? Is he says, I offer to you the living water that if you drink of this water you will never thirst again. And he was talking about himself. That what Jesus says is it's when we realize, wait a minute, we've messed up. It's not a, 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 a totally, completely erasable mistake, but his grace because of the blood. And, and, and listen, it's really easy for us to look, you know, maybe across the aisle or, or, or to the row in front of us or behind us or especially out the doors out in the community and find people who aren't living according to God's plan and point our fingers and say, but look what they're doing. It's very easy for us to point the fingers. But what we need to do is quit worrying about whatever's going on in somebody else's life and listen to what God is saying about our own lives and understand that even though God says, this is my plan, and you've blown it, because some of you've blown it, but even if you're right, and, and listen, and some of you are sitting here and you're, you're in a second marriage because, because of the first marriage there was abuse or, or maybe there was infidelity from, from the pre, your previous spouse or whatever. Some of you are innocent, but some of you, you're just blown it. I mean, you, you, know, you were living in sin, okay? We understand that. At 2911, we understand that. You sitting here before me, before you knew Jesus Christ, you were living in sin. And what he says is, this is, my, this, this is my plan, this is my dream for you, to have an amazing marriage, 
And if you've blown it, if you've blown it in your marriage, because you've either blown it in your marriage or, or, or you've blown it in school or you, you've blown it with relationships or you've blown it with your fight, you've blown it in some way because you were not living for God. But then when you come to him, this is what he offers us. He offers us the grace and mercy because by the blood of Jesus, not because you pray for 30 minutes, not because you, you confess your sins and because you do good works for, for two or three weeks or whatever, but by the blood of Jesus, every one of our sins are washed away. And so whatever sin you've got in your life, I mean, if, if, you, if, you, if you've been shacking or, or you know, you've just been married a whole bunch of times and it had nothing to do with, with, with wrong or fault of somebody, you just, you just kind of just in and out and in and out of marriages or whatever. You know, here's what God says. He, he says, I've got grace for you today. And then what I want to see is in your future, I've got a beautiful dream and a vision for an amazing thing because what God did, he, he took this woman at the well and turned her into a testimony, sent her back into the city. And she said, everybody's got to come see this man that has told me things about myself and he knows things that I don't even know about myself. And she became a great witness for him because he doesn't bring condemnation. All of us know John three sixteen, but there's 17 also where he said, we, we know for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But verse 17 says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so whatever your sin is, amen, yes, yes. Whatever your sin is, pick it up right here, right now. And like the woman at the well say, yeah, I've blown it. And not, not just if, if it's that simple, whatever your sin is, pick it up and go on. See, because if we believe in the sanctity of marriage and the biblical standard of marriage, then we have to enter, that's, that's so we're, which, if, if you're in your 10th marriage, sitting right there with your 10th spouse, start right here today and say, God is going to make this an awesome marriage. I am one with his spouse. And this is where God has put me. This is what we, we believe in the sanctity of marriage. But there's another part to this sanctity of marriage also. One man and one woman for the rest of your life. Is there, there is, a, there is a, a, a facet of marriage that is called sex, okay? And marriage and the marriage union, the way God looks at it, has sex is all wrapped up into it. Now listen. If you want me to, ask me after service, I can explain this in detail enough to embarrass probably all but about maybe five of you. I could, I could embarrass because the Bible is that explicit of how sex and the sexual union, how it fits into this union. Sex is not something that in God's mind can be taken apart and say, okay, you're married, but there's sex over here. No, it is part of all of this. And I can explain this to you. I mean, and, it, and it's graphic, okay? But it's in the Bible, all right? So if you need me to explain, I will. But suffice it to say, on a Sunday morning in a mixed crowd, that sex outside of marriage is also sex outside of God's plan for you. Whether it is, pre, if you've never been married, it is outside of God's plan for you. Or if you're married, the sex outside of your marriage is outside of God's plan for you. Because sex is a part of marriage. And when we say we believe in the sanctity of marriage, we believe in the biblical standard of marriage, then we believe these things. And if you say, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty deep, that's pretty heavy, that's pretty hard. And, and it's pretty, it, it, because, see what's happened over the last 
few decades in this country. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to sound like an old man here, and I'm not, okay? Y'all know that, right? You're only as old as you feel, right? And so I'm, I'm a young man today. But I'm going to sound like my granddad a little bit here, and I'm going to say that over the last few decades, things have changed in this country because what it used to be, and, and a lot of you guys that are much younger than me, and you know, they're scattered, but a lot of you are sitting right here, you, you, don't, you don't know this. But it's like there were a lot of things that, that are happening. No, uh, you know, uh, sex before marriage or outside of marriage and uh, adulterous affairs and those things, those aren't new. They've been around for a long time. All kinds of sexual immorality have been around for a long time. But over the last few decades, this country has forgotten that there are certain things that are okay and that are not okay. And when you stand before God, and make a commitment to a man or a woman and say, till death do us part. That's what that means. But we've, gone, we, we, we've fallen away from that in this country and we no longer, we no longer believe a lot of those things. And that, that, see, that's one of the problems. That's one of the reasons why we see this such a big, oh wow, really? You, you, you mean, I, I mean, there are really people that are blown away today that the church still believes that sex outside of marriage is wrong. But that's what the Bible says. But here's the reason. Is because God has that big, beautiful plan for you for have a marriage. And I'm talking about those of you who aren't married yet, too. And you understand that it, it, you understand if you're a married. Let me let me say this to you. And I'm trying I'm trying to finish from marriage again. But if if you're a married, let me say this to you: is you could look at some of these that are married, and you could understand that if if that man goes and and has sex with someone other than his wife, how that would destroy his marriage, right? And, and even if his wife never found out about it, but the guilt and the, and, and the other thing, the, the separation that happens there, all of those things, you know what? You have the same situation in your life. You're just not married yet. But one day you're going to be married to one person that is going to be your person that God says you are no longer two, but now one. And right now, what you were do, everything you are doing is putting yourself in a place for you to have an awesome marriage or for your marriage to be destroyed, taken apart, for your marriage to have guilt and condemnation and all of these other things that are added in there. Start protecting your marriage today. You have a marriage. You, you got a marriage. I mean, most, most of you are looking forward to being married one day, aren't you? You single guys and girls? Start protecting that right now today. We believe in the sanctity of marriage. We're here to fight for you. We're here to stand for you. And when it gets hard to do the right thing, we're here for you. Speak to us. Let us know. Text me. Call me. We want to answer questions. Anything we can do. Secondly, this, one, this one's another little tough one as well. I'm, I'm going to really deal with these, these are kind of tough just because the way our society, our culture looks at it today. The second one is the sanctity of life. And here, this is a very touchy, touchy subject. And, and, and if, you've got, if you've got questions, please, by all means, text me. Here's one of the reasons this is touchy right here, right now with all of us is because there are people sitting in this room who have family members or friends who have committed suicide. And so for us to throw a blanket over it and say, this is the will of God. This is what God, you know, we've got to be careful there because there are different situations. I, you know, that's between them and God. And there are people sitting here also who have had abortions. And so we have to be careful because if we're not careful, we just throw condemnation upon people. Let me show you something though. 
In the book of Exodus, when God is giving Moses the, the Ten Commandments, you know what number six says? Most people misquote number six because they say that it says, you shall not, or, or the old King James would said, thou shalt not kill. But when we look back at that Hebrew word, it is not kill, but murder. Why is that important? Because if God had told the Israelites, you shall not kill, instead of murder, you know, that may, they would not be able to defend themselves. Somebody walks in the door or breaks down the door at my house and, and intends to do harm to my family. You know, I, I've got the right to defend myself. Okay, now we can have that argument later if you disagree with that, okay? But if what God is saying there is you shall not murder. God is interested in protecting all life, not just one life, not just, not just the, the one, the, the criminal but also the one who is, who, who is, who is being uh, uh, taken advantage of. And, and I think of several ways to label that, but I try not to label it, you know. But the one who is, uh, who, who is who's being taken advantage of in the crime. And, and, and so if God had said don't kill, then we just have to let, I mean, let people beat us up, kill us, you know, kill our families and rape our families and destroy our families. We'd have to allow that to happen, but God didn't say that. He said, don't murder, because God is not only interested in the perpetrator, but he's interested in the victim. He's interested in protecting all life, because to God, all life is sacred. Not just one, but two, and all. Because another, another issue is, you know, is not just defending ourselves and guns. And, okay, think about the Israelites. I mean, they would have been wiped off the face of the earth if God had told them, you shall not kill, because they were always under attack. And their enemies would have destroyed them. But they had to stand up and defend themselves. And, and it's, it's not just that, and it's not just suicide. God, God, God values all life, but it's, it's also abortion. We had the question asked about abortion. And, you know, and I, I would really like to tell you that, you know, God's word says this, but God doesn't come down exactly straight there where I can tell you God's word says that. And I'm not gonna put words in God's mouth because I've read, I have read everybody's arguments on both sides of the issue. And let me just tell you, I've seen people on both sides of the issue twist God's word to try and make it fit what they want it to say. You know, and I can ask you the question today, is abortion wrong if the wife is going to die if she continues this, this pregnancy and her, her, her health is not just in danger, but she is going to die and, and the, the child inside of her is not going to live in any way whatsoever. You know what? Most people in this country would say, well, then it would be all right for them to take the baby and allow her to live because the baby's not going to live anyway. So, so you know, there are reasons sometimes that, that a lot of people say, well, wait a minute, and, and, and God's word doesn't speak on that. But if we take it to the other end of the, end of the spectrum, the other extreme, what if the baby is fully viable and, and if it was taken right now, all I got to do is just, you know, stick it, stick it in an incubator, you know, and just take care of it. It's going to live, but mom just doesn't want to be pregnant and have a baby. Is it okay then to take the baby and abort it and end its life? You know, here's kind of the issue. I talked to you not too long ago about, about Cain and Abel and what we have to look at. And when, when, when Cain killed Abel, he did not just kill Abel. But in Abel's future, there was going to be a wife. There were going to be kids. There were going to be grandkids. There was going to be legacy. There was going to be heritage. There were going to be things that, that Abel would preach and teach and say and do. And because he, he was really seeking after God. I mean, that, that was the thing that Cain was mad about because he was doing a better job of connecting with God than he was. So, you know, Abel had all of this in his future. And when Cain killed Abel, he didn't just kill Abel, he killed all that promise. And when we take another life, we don't just abort a life, we abort an entire mission. 
We abort a future. We abort, and it may seem like, well, yeah, that, that, that sounds okay, but pastor, is there any scripture to that? Well, listen, you know, if you're looking for life begins at, it's not in the Bible. But let's look at how God deals with, connects, and engages unborn lives. I mean, it's just a couple of verses right here. Jeremiah 1 and verse 5, God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God has already, has already chosen, you know, when he was speaking to Jeremiah, he said, I've already chosen, this is what I've chosen for you to do. This is my plan. These are my plans and my ideals. And so, and so to abort that would be to abort all of God's plans. Uh, in Isaiah 44, verse 24, similar to the same thing, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb. God formed you from the very womb. He's the one that chose what all of your, all of your characteristics and traits and the way you would look. And, you know, if you got your dad's eyes, your mom's nose and all that, God chose all of that stuff. And so he's got a plan, a beautiful plan. And those aren't the only two scriptures. Actually, the best ones I left just there on the Sunday's page. If you want to know what, you know, just the way God interacts with the unborn. And when you see how God interacts with the unborn, then, you know, I got to say, God hadn't told me exactly, you know, that I can tell you that the word of God says this, but here's what I can tell you is God interacts with the unborn and he dreams and he plans awesome things for the unborn when they are born and, and how they're going to live out their life. And for, and for me to choose to, to stop or to abort, you know, I've got to back up and say, wait a minute, this, this is God's plan. And so we have to be really careful here because I know some of, some of you have had abortions. And some of you have had family members who have committed suicide. Some of you have thought about suicide. Wherever you are, though, if you have abortions in your past, wherever you are, though, there is grace. There is mercy. If you've had an abortion that you knew, you know in your heart today is wrong, that you know, and, and you know, and I'm not. This is not a point here where I'm trying to badge. I'm, I'm actually just trying to reach somebody today. If you've had an abortion that in your heart you have been beating yourself up because you know that it's wrong, listen. I tell you that the blood of Jesus Christ is able to forgive every sin, and not just forgive sin, but to wipe away the guilt and the condemnation. And that if if that is happening, if you and, and, and you've got a child that's in heaven. God wants to introduce you to that child one day in eternity. And today, you can just pick up where you are, just wherever you are, whatever mistakes you've made. And, and if I don't mention, because everybody's got sin in their past, if I don't mention your sin today, you, you can just pick up right now today, ask God to forgive you and, and to start anew and start afresh. Because that's what the real message of the church is. It's not that we're against this, 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 this. It's that God wants you to have an awesome marriage. It's that God wants you to raise awesome children. It's that God doesn't want you to give up on yourself and your future and take your own life. That God wa wants to hallow and sanctify your life and your marriage, whether it's your, your present marriage or those of you who aren't married yet, your future marriage. But our problem with understanding a lot of this is due to our culture. And that's the third thing. Let's talk about our culture for just a few moments here. And about our culture, lots of questions. And um, I'm going to take one and I'm going to develop it, okay? But when we have questions about how we are to engage our culture, 
How much of our culture are we supposed to involve ourselves in, partake of, enjoy? When we start asking those kinds of questions, I really encourage you to go back to what I've tried to do here with these first two points, whether I've done it very well or not. I hope that you've gotten the idea that stop talking about what you're against and start talking about what you're for so that you can say, wait a minute, okay, is this a good thing for me? Instead of saying, nah, nah, is this a good thing? And so I want to wrap these up and listen. And I know, I, I know, but I know that some of you are going you're gonna, to you're gonna be tempted to turn me off as soon as you see which subject I'm going to pick to talk about culture right here today. But stay with me. Don't give up on this discussion when you see, okay? And, and, and just understand, this, this is a personal, th- th- these next few moments are personal from the pastor, that I personally don't drink alcohol because of what the Bible says, Okay? And, I, and, I, and listen, if you've, got, if you've got scriptures, you want to say, but pastor, scripture says this, oh, let's talk, okay? Let's talk. Because it's not that, you know, it's not that pastor is against alcohol. Actually, I've had some, uh, you know, when I, my sinuses get really bad, sometimes I take NyQuil. And you know what? It's got a lot of alcohol in it, okay? <laughs> and so I'm not against alcohol like that. I'm not against the fact that there's alcohol. Thank God for alcohol. Before all these other medicines were created, alcohol was very important in the world. But here's the reasons why I personally don't, don't drink alcohol. The first one is because the Bible tells me I need to be sober. And there's a scripture reference right there. We don't have time to read all of these, okay? But here's the thing. You know the difference in being sober and drunk? Define it for me. At what point do you cross the line from being sober to drunk? You can't do that because even our laws can't do that. I mean, they've struggled with trying to figure out what the right blood alcohol level is supposed to be, you know, so you get arrested or get a DUI. You can't do that because you take two beers and you give it to a a, a petite 15-year-old teenage girl and it's going to impact her differently than if you take those two same two beers and you give it to, you know, a 45-year-old man who's 250 pounds, been drinking over half of his life. It's going, to, it's going to impact them differently. How do you, def- you don't, don't define that. But the Bible tells me I have to be sober. And so, you know, well, the only way I know I can stay sober is to not drink. Does that make sense to you? You know, that, that's one of the personal reasons why I don't. Secondly, because the Bible says I need to bring glory to God. You know, when, when I am drunk, and I'm never being, okay? <laughs> I scared some of you there for a second, right? When I am drunk, I'm probably not bringing glory to God. And because I don't know where that line is, I have to just be careful. And here's the more important, you know, listen, no, there's probably no more important reason than to bring glory to God. But here's an important reason in our everyday lives is that the Bible also tells me I need to be a good example. Now, in those, those two verses of Scripture, and there's a lot more than just that on the Sunday's page, okay? Those two verses of Scripture right there, in those two verses, you'll see the word, uh, it, it can be translated offense or ensnared. That when someone, you know, sees me doing something, if I offend them, I should quit doing it. Or if somebody sees me doing something, if they could be ensnared, I should quit doing it. That's what that word means. Kind of means, and it doesn't mean offending them like hurts their feelings. It means offense, like go on the offensive. You know, it's like you have offended them. You have harmed or hurt them. If tonight you walk into one of the restaurants here in our area 
And as you're being taken to your table, you pass by the bar and you see me and my wife, Dava, sitting at the bar, downing a few mixed drinks. How many of you would be offended? Don't raise your hand. If one person would have raised their hand according to that scripture, I can't do that because I can't risk offending anybody. Because, but that word also doesn't mean just offended, it also means ensnared. If there's one person, you see, because you know what, I might be able to go in and have one beer and never, never, never drink another one that night or ever in the rest of my life. But if there's one person that might see me that said, well, if he can do it, I can probably do it too. And they become an alcoholic. Word of God says, if they could be ensnared, offended or ensnared, then I shouldn't do it. And that's why I don't. I, I know I've got, I think I've got four more of these to throw at you, but I'll, I'll go through those real quickly because I got to be really personable here, personal here with you, okay? I'm, I'm going to tell you something I, I don't think I've ever shared in a sermon. I, I, I've not shared this with a lot of people. A lot of my, my best friends and family don't know this. And it's not going to sound like a big deal to a lot of you, but when I was a little, little boy, I mean, I, I, when I say little boy, I mean preteen, okay? There was, there, was a, there was an afternoon, and uh, it was around school, and that a few of the other, I, I don't remember who all was there. I only remember one person specifically that was there, and they were smoking. Okay, now, now you, 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 you're thinking, well, that's not a big deal, Pastor. They were smoking, and uh, I had to have a little bit of a draw off the cigarette. He said, oh, pastor, you thought, you know, y'all thought I was going to tell you about getting drunk and, you know, beating somebody up or robbing something. No, but do you understand? I wasn't even a teenager. I was a little kid. It was a big deal. It was something that my church preached against, the use of tobacco. And there I was, I was smoking. And, and, and uh, he said, well, some of you say, oh, pastor smoked. Well, yeah, but not really, you know. <laughs> And it's and and as, and as small, and, and that's what some of you are probably thinking right now, but pastor, that's just such a little bitty small thing. But, but let me finish the story. I only remember one person that was there, and he was probably my best, my first best friend. You know, once I started really having friends outside of the family, he was probably my first best friend. I, I, I still know him today. I mean, he and I would see each other every once in a while. And he was the one that had the cigarette that I took from him and I took a draw off of. And what I remember, the reason I don't remember anybody else except, and I don't even remember, I, I think there were probably four of us, three of us, maybe, I don't know. The reason I don't remember that is because the thing that is so indelibly etched in my mind is the picture of his face when he saw me take a draw off that cigarette. He looked like I had offended him that I had shot him through his heart. He was not living a Christian life, not in any way. But he looked, here was Rick, or Ricky, you know, back in those days. That was called, here was Ricky who stood for all this, and his church stands for all this, and boom, there, and he falls, he fails. And to this day, I almost called his name, I can still see his face looking at me with such disappointment 
And I've heard about some of the issues that he's had in his life. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and you know how you do, don't you? You start looking back and saying, man, if I could have just been a better example. You see, one day you're going to have to look back at all these things that you're doing that you know are offending people or ensnaring people. I'm not just talking about alcohol, okay? I'm talking about everything. If you know something is offending or ensnaring other people, you're going to have to look back at that one day and you're going to have to live with that for the rest of your life. And it's small and insignificant, but I was a kid. It's why this was so huge. Okay, if I had been 16, 17 years old, yeah, it would have probably been marijuana, okay? Right, it would have been something. But I was a kid, and that's why this is such a big deal. And I was supposed to be an example, and I wasn't. I don't want that to happen for you. That's why I don't drink alcohol. That's why I don't do some other things, is because I have to be an example. Number four, let me hurry here, Tommy. says my witness is very important. I don't have time to develop that. Scripture's right there. It's basically the same thing. Number five, warns me against alcohol's destructiveness. Because the Bible warns me that alcohol is destructive. Look around you. And listen, there, is a, there are a ton of scriptures that I have put on the Sunday's page for this one right here. And there are even more in the scripture. It is destructive. You see, here, here, here's one of the reasons I, 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 that this is a reason is because of this. Is I'm in the business of helping people save their marriages and save their lives and save their futures and save their jobs and save their educations and save their scholarships and save and save their lives. But alcohol destroys. Alcohol disrupts. Alcohol tears apart. I was sitting in a, in a mayor's office years ago uh, uh, when I was pastoring in the, in the late 90s in, in, in an area where we had, a, we had a Christian school in our church and, and a daycare, and I found out they were going to put a, a convenience store right next door to our church. Well, the law says you can't do that. I went to the mayor. I sat down in his office, and he was totally blown away when I told him... I, you know, I thought he would understand this. He would assume this, but he didn't. I said, I said, I'm a pastor and I'd rather there not be any alcohol sales in the whole city. And he was like, really? You know, like what, how in the world are we going to make any money here if we don't sell alcohol? But because of what we see alcohol do to destroy lives, to destroy families, kids that go to bed at night hungry because dad drank up the grocery money in alcohol, because kids that have been abused because somebody went too far with, with it. This is why I don't. It's because of it's destructive. And the last one is because the Bible calls me, just like Daniel, to a great mission. And I must always be ready to and be able to hear from God. I never know when God wants to speak to me. And it's not always just on Sunday morning that God wants to speak to me and to you that he needs to speak to you. And, and, and if I'm drunk, he can't speak to me. If I'm a little tipsy, then I don't know that I'm really... I've got to have my mind. This is, this is what Daniel did in Daniel chapter one, verse eight. Read it. Read the story there and see what Daniel say. Daniel has this vision. Daniel has this dream of what God wants to give to him and, and do through him. And he's got, to, he's got to protect himself at every moment of every day because God might speak to me now. He might speak to me on Friday night when everybody else is off doing something else. He might speak to, want to speak to me after the game. And, and I know, I know, I know man, I, I'm, taking, I'm challenging you today. Yes, I'm challenging you today. I've spent, since I got home from vacation, I've spent five days with this. And not this, just this message, but just this of who we are and where we are. Let me, let me throw this last thing at you real quick if I can. And here's just, here's just an idea. Here's what we must do. 
It's how we need to look at, at culture. Is we, it is perfectly acceptable for us to engage in culture that gives us rest and helps us grow, but that's, that should be the goal. We should engage with culture that helps us grow or gives us a break, gives us rest. You wanna watch a stupid, silly movie? Okay, that's okay. To get a break, we need a break. But we must engage in culture that does those things and does not fill our minds or hearts with images or ideals in opposition to God's dream for our lives. Why? Because he has an amazing dream. I've been asking you for almost a year now. Uh, Not every single Sunday, but a a lot of Sundays at the end of the service, I say, how many of you need amazing this week? You need God to do amazing, and you've thrown your hand up a lot of you. You want God to do amazing for you. You know what, we've gotta also make sure that we're not, we're, we're, we're doing things that are putting ourselves in a place where God can do amazing for us, but then also not doing things that are robbing the amazing right out of who we are already. That God has already poured some amazing stuff into you, but because of what you, you may be allowing yourselves to, 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 to take in, it is robbing and destroying you of that. And now, you know, you know me, you've heard me preach, right? I mean, you've heard me preach, you've been here before. There's, there's a few first-time attenders, but you know, our vision around here at 29 Lives is to help you live the dream that God has for you. Not the almost, not just the belief, not just the fairy tale of thinking about it and hoping, but to actually live the dream that God dreamed for you when he was forming you in your mother's womb. That you would become an amazing man or woman of God. That you would become an amazing spouse. That you would become an amazing parent. That you would become an amazing uh, brother and friend and neighbor and community worker. That you would become amazing in all the areas of your life. And we can't do that when we say we believe one thing and yet we're doing a lot of other things. Doing a lot of other things. Let me ask you to do something, if you will, please. Help me close this. If you will stand and come to the front. We'd like to close with a final song and a final prayer here at the front. Thank you for staying with me today. Let me, let me just share one last little thing with you, if you will. And Tommy, I'm gonna go back to that scripture that I, that I um, skipped at the very first of the sermon. Let's give you a heads up if you hadn't deleted it. Thank you. First Peter chapter two, verse two and three. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Why? So you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Don't ask questions of the scripture so you can prove the church down the street wrong, or you can beat your friend up about it at work or school tomorrow morning. Don't ask questions of scripture so that you can just figure out what I can kind of believe but kind of get away with. Crave the pure, spiritual milk so that you may grow up into salvation. Can I, can, I, can I say this to you real quick? Our kids aren't, and I mean our kids in the world, aren't addicted to drugs and alcohol today because we need a few more good Christian t-shirts. And if we'd all wear good Christian t-shirts, then everything would be all right, right? That's not the reason, right? Marriage is not in trouble in our country because 
The Pope didn't get here to just last week, and we've had all these years, you know, that we didn't have the Pope ever here. I mean, that's not the reason. And the reason our country is turning its back on God is not because there's not enough Republicans or Democrats, whichever it is that your persuasion. It's not because we don't have enough Republicans or Democrats in the Congress. That's not the reason our country and our, our, our communities and our marriages and our, our families are in the shape that they are in. The reason is because there has grown up a generation before you guys that said they knew the Lord, but they did not know the Lord. They this, this, the Bible that is the word of God, it is not enough to say, I believe this. We must live it. And there was a generation. It was my generation. My generation, the generation between me and you. I believe there's a, there's a huge number of that generation that grew up. They say they know God, but they do not know God. I'm asking God to give us some. To one more time, not just say this is what I believe, but say this is who I am. And Jesus turned the world upside down with 11 men because one turned his back on him, but it started with 12. But then they became 120. And then this went throughout the whole world with the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's got to begin with some people who say, I don't just believe this on paper. I believe this with my hands. I believe this with my eyes. I believe this with my feet. I believe this with my actions. I believe this with my heart. I believe this with everything I am. And so God's calling us today. And I'm praying, God, and please, I'm, I'm really praying over this generation right here. Look at this. Look at these faces. Look at these young faces. And I know there's some over here too, but look at these young faces. God. And, you know, and I feel like I need to repent many times when I've taken it easy. And I've been part of that generation that said I believed in God, but I didn't really walk it. Don't take, don't take that lesson from us. If you need to go back another generation beyond us, then go back and look for an example. Go back to the Bible. Look for examples. And some of you that are my age and older, look for examples. And remember that your parents, your grandparents, they changed the world one life at a time. But they didn't do it by just believing. They did it by living what they said they believe. We believe the Bible. We need to live the Bible. We got to walk it. Uh, uh, and let, let me just ask you as I'm close. Uh, Jamie, if you can, go ahead if you can. Some of you got a big decision to make. Boy, I, I've really tweaked some of you today, haven't I? Not, not, not the specific things on the screen, but the whole attitude and the why. You got some decisions. How many of you want amazing? Come on. How many of you want amazing? You want to, how many of you want amazing? Come on, raise your hand. If you, I want some amazing. I need some amazing. Then you're going to have to do something amazing. Come on. I want this prayer team standing right.